0: The scripture today comes from Romans 7, verses 7 through 25. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning, good morning. I saw this uh, psych website that listed what they found to be the most common struggles people have. And on that list, I mean, there were a bunch, but they mentioned health, mental health, Work, workplace issues, emptiness, failure. I don't know if you relate with any of those, but struggle by definition, struggle's hard. These are hard things. I mentioned struggle because um, that's what this message is about. We are gonna see Paul struggle in the passage, and we are gonna struggle with the passage. It's all just hard stuff. So I'm saying we're getting on the wrestling mat today. It's not going to be comfortable. You know, be prepared to do a little work and uh, and struggling. Well, Paul's been teaching us that we are uh, that being under grace does not give us permission to sin. There's been a regime change. We've transferred to a new kingdom. And then he was saying that we are now to live in the new way of the spirit not the old way of the law. But before Paul goes on to life in the spirit, Romans 8, he takes a little detour to address this question. Verse 7, is the law sin? Sorry, I'm getting some uh, feedback here. I don't know how it sounds over there. Is the law sin? And then in verse 13, is the law death? Where is this question coming from? Well, Paul's been saying some pretty harsh things about the law. We're going to look at a few verses here. Romans 4, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Chapter 5, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Uh, Chapter 7, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And then later, I, once was, I, once, I was once alive from the law, apart from the law. But when the law came, commandments came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Last time we mentioned that for the Jews, the law was God's good and gracious gift for his beloved and chosen people. The Jews saw the law as the solution. But Paul seems to be suggesting, no, the law is part of the problem. And to them, it seems like Paul's kind of dissing on the law. Our good, holy, sacred law, Paul's kind of trampling on the law. Maybe some suggested, maybe Paul thinks the law is sin. Which is why Paul addresses the question directly here in this passage. Is the law sin? And Paul's clear, emphatic answer is no, by no means. No way, of course not. And then if you look at the passage, Paul explicitly affirms that the law is good. Notice verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. Verse 16, I agree with the law that it is good. Is the law sin? Paul says, no, absolutely not. The law is holy and righteous and spiritual and good. But admittedly, it's kind of confusing. How does Paul say all these things about how problematic the law is while also saying the law is good and spiritual and holy? Well, the problem is what we will call indwelling sin. Notice verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 23, I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul's saying the law is not sin. No, the law is good, but our indwelling sin took what was good and made us more sinful. If you were here with us last time, we talked about how Indwelling sin takes the law and it arouses sinful desires. It arouses a rebelliousness. I want to be my own God. It arouses our self-righteousness. I want to be my own savior. And we said, we notice how it deceives us. Sin took the law and it deceived us to question God's goodness. To falsely put hope in ourselves. We said last time, it's like a parent who gives the kid a nice car, a really nice car. The car's good. But the kid has a desire for independence and adventure. And he takes the car and he runs away. The car is good. The law is good. That's not the problem. The problem is our indwelling sin. So the law is not sin. Instead, the law reveals this indwelling sin. The law cannot rescue us. The law is not the solution. The law reveals the problem. What does the law reveal? The law reveals the depth of the problem. Romans 3, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 7, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Right? The law reveals the problem. It reveals our rebelliousness, our self-righteousness. Like the older and younger brothers in the parable of the prodigal son, we want life without the father. We want to run away from God. Well, then in verses 20, 15 to 25, Paul says, expresses this problem with the law in more personal terms. He's not, he doesn't just explain here's the problem. He now shows us the problem. He shows us how hard it's been to live with the law. This is what it feels like. I know we read the passage, but I thought it was worth reviewing um, another, a paraphrase, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage. And, if we can get the feel right he says I don't understand what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way but then I act another doing the thing I absolutely despise for if I know the law but still can't keep it and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions I obviously need help I realize I don't have what it takes I can will it but I can't do it I decide to do good but I don't really do it I decide not to do bad but then I do it anyway my decisions are such that don't my my decisions such as they are don't result in action something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time it happens so regularly it's predictable the moment I decide to do good sin is is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything. Nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Can Can you feel Paul's frustration Paul's sense of defeat. Paul is pushing a rock he cannot move. Scaling a wall he cannot climb. Fighting a battle he cannot win. This is an exercise in futility. Paul feels helplessly, hopelessly doomed. What am I going to do? What's that feel like? You guys seem uh, to enjoy the Aladdin song, so I thought we might try another song today, this time from Encanto. And I want you to think about Paul wrestling with the law, saying, pressure, like a drip, 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 that'll never stop. Whoa. Pressure, that'll tip, 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 till you just go pop.
0: Whoa, uh uh-oh
1: all the holy and righteous rules placed on feeble souls feels cruel watch as i buckle and bend and quake no mistakes but wait if i could shake the crushing weight of expectation would that free up some room for joy or relaxation or simple pleasure instead i measure this growing pressure, and I just can't win. Paul is brought to the end of himself. It's been a tortured struggle, and he feels utterly defeated. And so he says, verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me From this body of death I can't I can't do it somebody's got to come and rescue me I am I can't win I think we need to be more convinced of how deep and wide how ugly and evil how powerful and enslaving our sin is. I think of the prayer of the tax collector Who wouldn't look up to heaven But would beat his breast, Saying God Have mercy on me A sinner I think of David after being confronted About Bathsheba saying A broken and contrite heart O oh God You will not despise In 1 Timothy, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Do we see the depth of our sin? Are we convicted? Are we broken by our sin? I think it's a challenging and appropriate word for us because I think in our society, we take sin rather lightly better to be authentic, sinful though it may be. I think the church, perhaps in the name of grace, doesn't take sin that seriously either. We don't like to talk about how deeply, thoroughly, comprehensively, insidiously sinful we are. As I mentioned last time, I I struggle with this. I think I'm a good person, better than average, right side of the bell curve. You know, like, come on, right? I am good at justifying, excusing, ignoring and minimizing my sin. But what if we were convicted and broken by our sinfulness? What if we saw ourselves as wretched, I remember this dating couple having some troubles she accused him some accused him of some pretty harsh thing and his response was so striking he said um you know that's not even the worst of it if she only knew I'm actually a lot more sinful than she even realizes he's saying effectively all her accusations are actually a compliment Because the truth is, I'm actually much worse. Tim Keller said, we only fully grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we are the worst sinners we know. Well, I want to turn a corner, spend some time examining one of classic questions of biblical interpretations you probably don't worry or care too much about this but this is one of the the big things for those who like to study the bible who is the i in romans 7. who is this one who says i keep on sinning even when i don't want to who is the one who says i'm wretched wretched man who is this guy what is going on what is being described there are lots of different views, lots of different arguments. And I'm just gonna say a lot of very, very smart people have studied this for a very, very long time and they don't agree and I'm not gonna figure it out. I uh, I am not gonna to claim to have an answer to this. It is with some comprehension I now tread into the, into the debate because I feel like, well, this is our passage and we should at least consider what it means. Now, the good news is that There is agreement on what the main point of the passage is. Regardless of your view, this passage is trying to show us the problem of our indwelling sin. We all agree with that. And we just talked about that. But what's this debate about? There are two, I'm going to simplify, two main views. One is, this is Paul, as a Christian, sharing about his struggle with sin. The other view is, this is Paul, before he became a Christian, speaking as a Jew. The first view, Paul speaking as a Christian about his struggle with sin. I think the main appeal of this view is, it just rings true. It resonates. It feels authentic. Paul's been talking about how we're dead to sin, alive to God. No longer slaves to, righteous, uh, slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. We're no longer married to sin, the law. We're now married to Jesus. These are all good and true, but it all feels a little too triumphant. Like, it feels a little like, that doesn't describe me. And then you get to Romans 7, you go, oh, okay, here, <laughs> this describes me. So Paul celebrates all this, but there is a struggle, and then life in the spirit. And so it it seems to kind of ground it in our reality. We understand the gritty struggle, not the triumphant tone that Paul seems to have through Romans 6. Well, in this view, the main lesson then, the so what, the application is, let's learn from Paul. How to struggle with our sin. This is John Piper's view. And in his sermon, he gives four applications, lifting phrases from the chapter. I delight in the law of God. Number one, we are to love God's law. Desire it. Delight in it and nurture our delight in God's law. I do the very thing I hate. Number two, we are to hate our sin. Don't play with it. Don't tolerate it, don't excuse or minimize it, despise it, hate it. We are going to battle with it. Number three, wretched man that I am. Number three, we are to come to the end of ourselves. We are to realize how incapable we are to do what we want to do. And we are to feel the agony of defeat. Number four, thanks be to God for our victory through Jesus. We are to run to Jesus, run to his righteousness. We are to celebrate the victory that he has conquering our sin. And you know, that's a good word. I think that's a good word for us. There is a battle and we need to engage the battle. We are to not be complacent with sin. We are to not take sin lightly or to excuse it or minimize it. We should instead strengthen the good, hate the bad, realize our weakness, and run to Jesus. Strengthen the good, hate the bad, realize our helplessness, wretchedness, and run to Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. We fight the battle. The other view is that this is Paul speaking as an unbelieving Jew, as someone who is not under grace but under law that's how Paul introduces we are no longer under law we are under grace and Paul might be here speaking as a Jew under law because this is what Paul's been speaking about he's been talking about the mosaic law which is holy and righteous and good and so the view here is that Paul is speaking as a Jew and speaking on behalf of fellow Jews who have been under that mosaic law and he's expressing how as jews under this law they've been enslaved in bondage in captivity and now paul is showing us what that bondage looks like and feels like if this is true then the view here is saying This is the bondage, this is the slavery, this is the captivity of indwelling sin, the struggle from which we have been set free, from which we are now delivered. This was life under law, but we are now under grace. This is not the picture of life in the new kingdom. This is a picture of life in the old kingdom. This is not meant to teach us how to live the Christian life. This is meant to show us, to describe an aspect of the gospel of what we have been delivered from. To use our old terms, this is indicative, not imperative. The application then is recognize what God has done. Believe what God has done. Celebrate what God has done for you. So if you're following here, we're saying the problem is not the law. Law is good. The problem is our indwelling sin. Now the question is, what is the thought after that? Is the thought, the problem is not the law, the problem is our indwelling sin, which remains and with which I struggle. Or, the problem's not the law, the problem is my indwelling sin from which Christ has delivered me. Which one is it? What is the thought? What is the message? What is Paul trying to say here? Now in one sense, maybe we don't have to choose. Maybe we can have our cake and eat it too. Like maybe we can just say, yeah, both sides are good both sides are true you're right and you're right and that's we can all just get along because we can say yes I struggle with indwelling sin and yes I have been delivered from indwelling sin both are true in fact Paul has been showing us here right there we are dead to sin alive to God uh, we belong to him There's been this transfer, but as we will see as we go into Romans 8, we are to live according to the Spirit, not the flesh. We are to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Paul addresses this tension, this struggle of life in the Spirit versus life in the flesh in Romans 8. That's part of where Paul's going to take us. In our first message, we talked about the already not yet. We are already dead to sin and alive to God, but not yet fully. We are already united to Christ, but not yet in his resurrection, but we're not yet resurrected, at least bodily, gloriously. We are already delivered from our indwelling sin, but not yet completely delivered. What I'm trying to say is, even within the context of Romans 6 to 8, we can affirm both are true. That Paul actually is saying both of those messages. That they are part of this, our, our lives as Christians. So maybe we don't have to choose. What do you think? Or, or we might say, But that's avoiding the question, because the question is, what is Paul trying to say and teach us here? Though both may be true, what is Paul trying to tell us in this passage? Because I'm going to suggest Paul is not in code trying to say two things at once. I mean, that would be. Very confusing, right? I'm actually trying to say both things at the same time with the same words that can now be interpreted so differently. What is Paul's intended message? Which is it? Again, a lot of really smart people don't agree. And I don't know. I'm not claiming I have this figured out. But I felt like I should try to teach something here. So with some humility, here's what I think today I originally thought that this was the struggle of the Christian because like it just resonated if you just read Romans 7 you go yes this is me <laughs> this is us this is this is what the, this is what real Christianity feels like but as I studied the context I'll say my view has shifted I think Paul's purpose is to show, follow, the problem was not the law. The law was not sin. The problem is we are sinful. We have indwelling sin. And Paul is now giving us a picture of that struggle with our indwelling sin. We've been freed from the law, but but this is all under the context of Paul trying to explain, we have been freed from the law. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. That's the big umbrella of Romans. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. And But to explain what he means by no longer under law, he now He's saying, but well, it's not because law was a problem, it's because we had a sin problem, and that sin problem feels like this, but that was all under the heading of we were no longer under law. Not because the law was sin, but because we are sinful, this is what it feels like. We are no longer under law, is the main heading of the chapter, the main heading of where this journey began. It doesn't flow as well for me to say, you you you're dead to the law you are freed from the law but this is how it feels as you continue to struggle with the law like that doesn't flow that doesn't seem to be where Paul's mind would have gone instead I hear Paul saying you've died to the law you've been set free from the law not because the law was sin but because of our sin here's what it feels like to struggle with that sin but that's all under what it was to be under law. The problem of being under law, you are now under grace. Some of you are probably very confused. I'm gonna confuse you just a little bit more. So what are we to do? If you just said, Paul, what do you want me to do? Just, 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 what's what's the point? What's the point? Well, Okay, so now I'm going to go back. I think Paul only intended one message. I don't think he's saying two things at the same time. But I think we can still benefit from both views and have both applications. In fact, I'm going to now propose we take both applications. Even though I just try to argue, you really should have this one view. But let let me explain. I think we should do both. I think my application for us today is let us do battle with indwelling sin. Let us not be complacent. Let us not take sin lightly. Let us recognize and be convicted by and broken by and repentant of our indwelling sin. Strengthen the good. Hate the bad. Realize your wretched weakness and run to Jesus. And let us recognize and believe and celebrate that Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our victory, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us give thanks and praise and glory and honor to the Lamb forever and ever and ever. We should should understand, believe, and celebrate our deliverance. Now, the reason why I want to say I think the application for us today is to do both is because I think they actually go together. The more we recognize the magnitude and power of our sin, the more we are broken by our sin and convicted by our sin, the more thankful we are for his forgiveness, for his righteousness, for his deliverance. Our repentance fuels our celebration, our worship. He who has been forgiven little loves little, he who has been forgiven much loves much they go together and I'm gonna say it also goes the other way meaning how do we do this battle with sin don't take it lightly how do we become victorious over our sin Paul's resounding emphasis in Romans 6 to 8 is here's what God has done for you you are no longer here you are now here This is what Christ has accomplished. Regime change, kingdom transfer. You are dead to sin, alive to God. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are slaves to righteousness. You are no longer under law. You are under grace. Your old spouse is dead. You are now married to Jesus. See yourself this way. Reckon yourself this way. Present yourself this way. In other words, I think what Paul is saying The way we have victory over sin is by believing the gospel. By recognizing, claiming, resting in, and celebrating this great transfer, deliverance, regime change that Christ has done for us. how we fight our sin it's not by our own strength wretched people that we are that is an exercise in futility it is by resting in hoping in seeing ourselves in you in light of what Christ has done for us I want to point out that this is what you we actually do each week as part of our liturgy we confess our sin and we celebrate the assurance of our forgiveness. Let that liturgy shape our lives. As we close, I want to invite you and I want to lead us in a time of prayer as we try to do these things, repent of our sin and recognize and rest in what he's done for us. So. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess that I don't see much of my sin. I, I, I confess I don't want to see my sin, that I try to excuse and minimize it. But today lord you show us our sin is our sin our sin is deep it's a serious problem indeed if we saw it more fully we would be overwhelmed we would be crushed we would be defeated lord we fall so short of your law we do not love you with our whole hearts and minds and strength lord we do not Love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we confess our hearts are, are are quite small to you, to others. We confess a deep selfishness and self-centeredness. And Lord, we repent of our rebelliousness, our desire to have our own way, to be our own God, to do as we please. Lord, we repent of our self-righteousness, how we're always on our own self-salvation project, trying to make something of ourselves, make ourselves righteous. We repent of our sense of entitlement, thinking that we've earned something, that we deserve something. Lord, we repent of boasting, and criticalness, envy, materialism laziness and complacency and resentment and hatred and lord lord what can we do no matter how hard we try we cannot follow your law and we certainly can't change our hearts to be loving and joyful and peaceful lord we confess we are wretched and helpless sinners. Lord, have mercy on us. But Lord, we also recognize that you have delivered us from slavery. You have delivered us from captivity, from death. Sin is no longer our master. We are dead to sin, and sin is dead to us. We are no longer orphans. We are your beloved children. We are united to Christ so that your spirit is now in us. And we enjoy the newness of life today and the physical glorious resurrection of our bodies tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for being our righteousness, for being our savior and freeing us from the burden of always trying to earn our way and prove ourselves. Lord, thank you for softening rebellious hearts that are now inclined to you, that we desire to do your will. Lord, thank you for taking our hearts that want to push you away and giving our hearts that now move toward you, want to follow you, to trust and love you. This is the new kingdom you have brought us into. You have delivered us from the drip, drip, drip of pressure and brought us into a whole new world. So to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever
0: and ever.